My best advice would be build something that you would be proud of, that you'd be proud to show your friends and continue to work on it until people are begging you to quit your full-time job. A lot of people oh. leave their W-2 job way before they're ready. And so oh. I think you need to have people begging you. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is your host of the Action Academy podcast, Brian Lubin, helping you get rich, happy, successful, and free with a capital F in your life and business. Today, we have a bit of a non-traditional guest, and he is awesome. I have met this dude, I kid you not, within the last couple of weeks, probably six separate times. Every single time that I have an event that I'm going to, this guy's either hosting it or he's running it or he's moderating it or he is at the event. So this guy is one of the best networkers and connectors slash party hosts that I have ever seen. So today, this episode is a bit non-traditional, but I think it is absolutely worth you sitting all the way through to the end of the episode because the skills and the lessons that you're going to learn from this show and from the story of today's show guest are very, very valuable. Most of the episodes on this podcast revolve around passive income strategies, which are the precursor to what I think is the end goal, the end destination, which is passionate income. This is building a life and business revolving around your passions and your zone of genius. So today's show guest skipped the passive income stage and he just immediately started figuring out how to make money while having a bunch of fun. And that's exactly what he did. Today's show guest is none other than Nick Gray. Nick had a massive passion for museums given tours. So what he did was he actually started as a museum tour guide and built an entire company and business around having really, really fun museum tours that were out of the ordinary and extraordinary. And so he blew up from this ended up building a massive company off of it, sold it for $2.8 million seller finance to some of the people that worked for him, got a seven-figure check written to him, and then used that check to go build other businesses and author this brand new book, which I think all of you should get, which is called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. So the entire premise of the book is instead of trying to invite your way into big circles, what you need to do is become the host of the circle. Create the circle, bring people to you, be the life of the party in the center of attention. And he is an expert at this. He tells you how to do it if you're an extrovert, if you're an introvert. He has techniques and tricks and tips for you to host the best parties, the best events, and be the most connected person in any room that you enter. So while museums and cocktail parties may not be on your list of passive income strategies, I highly recommend listening to this episode because there are so many takeaways for entrepreneurship, for passionate income that Nick gives in this show. Highly recommend that you finish it. And without any further ado, Nick Gray. Nick cool. Gray, man. Welcome to the Action Academy. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm excited to be here today to talk about parties or networking or whatever. Dude, you are just a wacky dude. Wacky is the word that I think of when I describe you. And I, I think that's exactly how you position yourself. I, I feel like you lead with having fun and then I you try. just yeah. figure out how to make money from it over and over again. I try to do that. My last company was called Museum Hack, and it was pretty weird. A strange business where we did renegade museum tours. 
at some of the biggest, best museums in America. And that, exactly to your point, started as a passion project, as a hobby that I never thought. And then it turned into we had 40 or 50 employees. It was crazy. I want to get into Museum Hack in a second. But first, have you ever had a normal job where you were just like, oh, okay, I'm working like nine to five, this is my gig before you did that? Or did you just just pop out on the scene and you're like, I'll figure out how to make money and have fun with it? When I was in high school, I worked internships for this one company called Siemens. They're a big German company. And I worked for them in high school. And then I worked for Microsoft one summer. So that's as close as I came to an office job. And But no, I've never had a full-time office job. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about two different things. So one, Nick is the author of an awesome book, Two Hour Cocktail Party, which we're going to get into in the back half about why he's going to convince me to start hosting these parties. And we're going to convince each and every one of you listening to host your own cocktail party and become the center of the network that you're so desperately craving. But first, we're going to start about the topics that we preach on this show all the time, and that is going from passive income to passionate income. Yes. So Nick just skipped over the passive and now he's over straight into the passionate to where he's just living in his zone of genius and his passion and he just figured out how to make money from it. So let's walk a little bit through Museum Hack. I looked at the positioning on the website and essentially your entire premise with this business is museum tours suck. We all hate them, but museums are sick. How do we make them sicker? <laughs> So walk me through how you started making revenue from this. I hate most museums. I think art museums are really boring, but they don't really attract Gen Zs or millennial-minded audiences. And so I started to give these tours to my friends just for fun, literally just as a hobby, because I started to go to the museum. And, and when friends would visit me in New York City... I lived in New York for 13 years. Then I would show them around my favorite things at the museum. And I got to be really good at it. And I loved it because I was so passionate. I love showing people stuff that I really enjoy that's new to them. And then words started to spread amongst my friends and their friends. And they'd say, oh, my God, you got to go on one of Nick Gray's tours of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And then I came up with a little name for it. But then everything changed when this blog wrote about my tours, which by that time I've been doing it for one or two years. And it was very much word of mouth. And this blog wrote about it and said it that Nick Gray's secret tours of the Metropolitan Museum of Art are the best thing to do in New York City. And at the time, this was a very popular blog. And literally overnight, I kid you not, I had 1,300 people send me an email wanting to join one of my tours. And at that moment, I was like, oh, my God, I'm really on to something here. Wow. And then I just started to charge for it. I wasn't charging for it. I just wanted to create something I was passionate about. So I never thought about charging for it. I think that was important. Yeah, it's the same thing with this podcast. I started this podcast because I just thought it was super fun. And I looked at different wealthy people. And I was like, okay, this guy's wealthy from real estate. This guy's wealthy from business. This, and I looked at like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss. And I was like, those guys are wealthy by meeting and being friends with interesting people. I was like, Dude, this is my jam. Like, I love this. <laughs> so, yeah. This is just, and I started this for free and I just provided value. And now I've launched two businesses off of it. And now we're just going to keep launching business after business on the back of this podcast. So that is the definition, ladies and gentlemen, of passionate income. Most things that you're super fired up about are infectious and people will actually pay you to be a part of it. I think what you did that was interesting was I have a guess. But you made the podcast that you wanted to listen to. 
Correct. You made the podcast that you wanted your friends to listen to. Correct. You weren't doing it for the advertisers, for the sponsors from day one. You focused on how do I create the best product? Yeah. And I went through all the different, and I started because I loved podcasting and I would listen to two hours of podcasts every day because that was my cheat code. I realized that in my W2 job, if I listened to an hour to work and an hour from work, then that was two hours a day. That's 10 hours a week. That's 40 hours a month. So every single month driving to work and from work, I'm putting an entire work week into education without taking any time away from outside of work. And I was like, holy crap, this is the coolest thing ever. And so what I started doing was paying attention to, I really love how this show does this. I hate how this show does this. I love how this show does this. And then so I started taking all the best pieces that I really enjoyed and I combined them into this show. And I made sure to take away all the things that I hated from all the other podcasts. That's what created this. Were you doing anything else? I think you had another company that you were starting while you were doing these museums, correct? Or you were a part of it? So at the museum... During the early days, I just worked on Museum Hack for fun on the weekends. And at nights and weekends, it was like my hobby. During the day, I had a job, I had a business. It was a family business. My dad started this company in the basement of our house. And I joined them like right after college, thinking I'd just help hire his first employees. I'd make his webpage. And then that turned into he and I working together for a couple of years. My mom had joined. It, it really was a family business that we grew to more than 75 people and sold that about a year after I left to start Museum Hack. Wow. I like the concept that you started with this organic passion and then it just took one hit, right? Yeah. One article and then you were on the freaking map. So what happened next after these 1300 people email you? How did you go about trying to build a team to where you can have Museum Hack be more than just you? Because I read your blog on it and you said you reached that point where you said, okay, this is cool, but what if I'm not in New York? What if I'm traveling? How did these museum tours continue without me? Walk me through that process. So first I'll tell you that I never wanted to charge for the tours because I thought it would really ruin my passion. I thought that it would really change my why of doing it. And so I struggled. It seems silly now because the funny thing is once I started to charge for it, people respected me more. They Mm -hmm. actually took me more seriously when I started to charge for it. But leading up to that, I was like, I don't want to charge. I do this for fun, for free. And I really wrestled with that. But what I said was, I said, okay, I have such a long waiting list now that I will allow people to pay to skip the line. And if they pay, then they can join one of my tours immediately. And so that's how I rationalized it. But I do want to say that I worked on it for a year or two, trying to build the best possible product. And then it was successful. What happened afterwards? I got 1,300 messages and I knew that I needed more tour guides and I needed to hire people to help me serve this larger. This was bigger than just my friend and I needed Mm -hmm. to help do that. So the next thing I did was I hired some tour guides, but I wasn't ready to give it all away and stop doing tours myself. So I would still do half of the tour and they would do half and then we would switch halfway through. I've never talked about this, but it was a crazy thing. We'd switch tours halfway through. Super wild. (laughs) Dude, that's insane. (laughs) You're like, all right, tag out, buddy. Come on in. Yeah, that's fantastic. What's some advice that you would give to somebody that's listening to this that's maybe stuck in a W-2 job, a corporate job, 
and they have an idea of what they're really, really passionate about. Maybe that's guitars. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's hosting museum tours. What's some advice that you can give to them on creating something that they can go do full time? My best advice would be build something that you would be proud of, that you'd be proud to show your friends and continue to work on it until people are begging you to quit your full-time job. A lot of people leave their W-2 job way before they're ready. And so I think you need to have people begging you. You need to work and refine on your project nights and weekends. You should be grinding. Yesterday, as we record this, was President's Day, which is a federal holiday. But I said to people, I said, look, if you're not working on President's Day for your business or you're like the thing you're like, you're not going to make it like you don't want it enough. Mm -hmm. And I know people say, oh, you need to take a break. You take rest. You got to want it. You have to be obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And there's a chance that if you're listening to this and you you may not have found that yet. You may not have found that thing yet that you're so passionate and fired up. That's some of the advice. Does that hit or resonate with you? What do you think, Ryan? No, that 1000% resonates. And I think that that's the key factor that makes it worth it, right? Because if you do it for the money, then there comes a point where you make so much money that it's very easy to take your foot off the gas. Because Mm. you start making more than you need. And you're like, Uh oh, okay, cool. I don't need to do as much. So it has to be more than you, uh, especially to build a big old business. And Mm. hey, guys, we're talking about museum tours. And you're thinking, all right, Brian and Nick, this sounds cute. What was he making? Maybe like $10,000 a year, $20,000 a year? No, $2.8 million in annual revenue? Right. $2.8 million for museum tours? It's crazy. Crazy, right? Oh, my God. Okay. So I want to hit about the business side of this just because my entrepreneurship brain is just interested in this. And then we're going to get into the cocktail parties. All right. So first off, I want to hit about $2.8 million annual revenue. So question one that I want to talk about is how the heck did you scale up to that revenue and walk us through your revenue model? And then the question two is going to be about the exit because you sold to one of the girls that was like running everything. And that was like one of your dear friends. And you were like, hey, they're like, you, they sat you down and said, we want to buy your company. You said, what? And it worked. So let's talk about how you got the revenue up to that point. And then let's talk about the exit. That was a crazy sales story, by the way. And I'll talk about it. I sold to the then marketing director and CEO. The museum hack journey was really weird because based on your understanding, have you been to New York City, by the way? Have you been to the Metropolitan Museum of Art? Uh, It's big and it's overwhelming (laughs) and it's too much. And it's like, there's a lot that's going on. And we started our tours for tourists, okay? But that's not a multi-million dollar business. But I will tell you one thing. We got to, that's a... $100,000 a year, maybe one job for one person, but it's not a multi-million dollar business with health insurance and stuff like that. What was unique about that was at the very beginning, how we were successful was we got reviews on TripAdvisor. And we would ask every single person at the end, look, if you had a good tour, we really need a review on TripAdvisor. And so don't underestimate as a business owner, as an entrepreneur who's starting your new journey, Just like Brian probably asks you to write a review for this podcast, that means so much. To people that are starting out, those reviews matter. And we did a really good job of asking. You want to say anything about that? Hey, guys, do you feel your finger itching? Do you feel like this tingling sensation in your index finger right now and your thumb? 
Oh my God, what is that? Oh, I can tell you exactly what it is. It's the burning sensation for you to go leave the Action Academy podcast a five-star rating and a review right now. All right, get it? Got it? Good. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> that was perfect, right? <laughs> How did we grow it then beyond that was we started to do corporate sales. And I mm. realized that we were hiring these amazing tour guides and we only were giving them a little bit of work on the weekends. And they wanted to work with us more and we wanted to give them more hours, but we can't do that on a Tuesday afternoon, nobody. And so our customers actually came to us and said, hey, can we bring our holiday party to the museum with you? And so we actually got pulled. And then once we realized, oh my God, that is a gold mine, then we really went after that side of the business. So you switched from B to C to B to B. Basically, we really went hard on B2B, which, okay. by the way, leading up to this, we experimented with so much. We had a big article in Newsweek magazine about our bachelorette party tours, how we did bachelorette parties at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And the, uh, those people, by the way, are the toughest customers. Gosh, <laughs> people booking a bachelorette party have so many questions. It was we got out of that business. Suffice Very to fair. Say. Very fair. All right. So we build this up. We switch from B to C to B to B. You exit. I like. I read your blog on. It was super interesting. So you got written a seven figure check. You maintain a fifteen percent equity, and you sell it. They seller finance the deal. Yeah. So what can you walk through the terms of the seller finance? So how did yes. y'all how did y'all position this? And what and we talk about seller finance in real estate a lot on this show, but not as much so in businesses. So can you talk about why that was advantageous to you as a business owner and then to them as the buying parties? Yes, to me as the business owner, it was advantageous because I could get a higher price paid for the business because why else was it advantageous? I guess that's probably the biggest one. Well, why was it the taxes, right? The taxes probably, but we didn't really try to optimize that too much. But I guess it could be that you don't have to take the hit like all at once. I think the taxes probably actually may have been more advantageous if somebody bought all the shares. I don't know exactly. I'm not too good with that stuff. I should be. But why was it advantageous for the buyers? Because they had to put zero money down. They had to literally just pledge to work hard on it. And the reality was they crushed it. They took the business to places I never could have taken it. And even though they were full-time employed saying that they were giving it their all, once they were owners, everything changed. And they just, and they've really done a lot for them. And I think the sale worked out very well for both of us. We talk a lot on this show about having to get out of the way of your own business so that it can grow to the levels that it deserves. Did that, did that ring true for you? It does ring true to me. I was a blocker in my own business for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's How great. do you think you were blocking it? I'm a perfectionist. And so <laughs> I'm guilty of, I'm sure a lot of people you work with want things to be perfect. But the reality is 80% of done by somebody else is freaking awesome. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be 100%. You just need to move. You need to delegate and keep moving. Perfect. So... Ladies and gentlemen, just to recap, over the last 18 minutes, we've discussed how Nick literally built a business off of what he was passionate about, got 
a seven-figure check while maintaining a, a minority portion of equity in his old company. So he still has that. And now he can go do whatever he wants. And that led to the creation of a bunch of new super fun things that you wanted to do in this book. So let's talk about the two-hour cocktail party and how this came to be and this movement that you freaking started, which now I'm going to be a part of tonight because you're literally in Austin and I'm going to one of your events tonight. So we're right there smack in the middle of it. <laughs> it it's crazy how this happened, by the way. But yes, exactly. I love to host events. I think for those that are listening, you need to learn how to host a well-run event to grow your business, to grow your network, to make new friends, or even just to meet your neighbors. But here's the deal. Number one, it's lonely being an entrepreneur. It's lonely having your own podcast. Your friends don't know what that is like. It's very hard to relate. And what we need is a peer group because our peer group lifts us up. Now, many people tell business owners, oh, you should start a mastermind. Or they say, oh, you should do a dinner party. The reality is that for most people, that's too difficult, too complicated, and they'll never do it. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody recently. I don't want to call them out. But they said, oh, my community has been saying we should do an annual conference. And they were saying, <laughs> I was saying, I'll get to it eventually. I'll do it eventually. And just like the same advice where 80% done is better than the perfect thing later. Yeah. What I found is a two-hour cocktail party, happy hour, meetup, whatever you want to call it. It's not about the drinks. It's about the people. But I'm on a mission now to show people what is the MVP, the minimum viable party. Because everyone <laughs> wants to be invited to a party. And you can throw one that's very easy. You'll see tonight. That's a simple gathering of just getting people together for the excuse to gather in person. People are hungry and starving for in-person gatherings. So before we talk about what makes a great party and what makes for a great lasting relationships, because the tagline of your, of your book is two-hour cocktail party, how to build big relationships with small gatherings. Love it. What do people get wrong before we talk about what people are supposed to do to get it right? What are, what's the norm right now that does not work? Number one, they host it on very competitive nights. They host their parties on socially competitive nights. Note that we're gathering tonight on a Tuesday night. Okay, Not a lot of things are going to get double booked. When you're a first-time host, the only thing that matters is attendance. Do not host your party on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. You should be hosting on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night when people are less likely to get double booked and more likely to say yes, that they can arrive. Number two, what do people get wrong? They spend too much time on the food. They spend too much time on the decorations. They spend time on things that don't matter. I would rather have someone leave one of my parties hungry than bored. I spend mm. a lot more time thinking about the conversations and connections and way less time about the decorations and the food. Those things don't matter. Okay. So what I've noticed is normally you'll go to my my experience with like local, especially real estate meetups. So we'll just use those as an example. Oh, um, I hate them. I hate them. I understand that people should go to them and I still recommend that people go to them. But it's like it's just a giant dick measuring contest. I've seen over and over again where it's just like, hey, like how many units do you have? Oh, I've got two units. How many units do you have? Oh, I have 47. And then it's not going to be worthwhile because they're like, oh, you can't help me. And then you see like their eyes glaze over and then they'll leave. So what I like to do now 
is instead of t- telling people like, oh, I've got a big podcast that's exactly like very, it would be very advantageous for you to be on. I just tell them, I'm like, oh, I run a podcast. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> so I'm curious, what do you do as, a, as the host to prevent this like really transactional surface level relationships where it's just, mm-hmm. what can you do for me? Oh, you're not too interesting. Okay, cool. I'm moving on to the next person. So most networking events get a bad rep and for good reason, because exactly what you said, they're too transactional. People are there to figure out what they can get. So number one, you need to filter your events and keep a good guest list to keep those grimy sort of networking types out. This is a party that you should be inviting a mix of your friends, your colleagues, people you want to connect with, but also your barista, your cool person you saw at the grocery store, a diverse guest list. We don't just talk about diversity as the shape and shade of our genitals. Diversity includes occupational diversity, age diversity. Let's like, I love having people who work in different industries because I can learn stuff from them. So the other thing that's helpful is as a host, you need to add structure. Okay. People Mm. go up. Oh, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Because the host hasn't made an effort to make that easy to find out. I don't know if you saw for the events that I'm hosting tonight, I sent out a huge list, a guest list, everybody Mm -hmm. who's attending and what they do and links to their socials. I do that before my events so that we get that out of the way. I will host an icebreaker where people get to share what they do for work so that you don't have to go around, ask what you do, skip, move, things like that. The key learning or lesson for those listening is you need to add a little bit of structure. Many people say, oh, I want to be a chill host. No, bro, we're not going to have name tags. I want this to be a cool party. No, man, I don't want to do icebreakers. This is just a chill thing. That's actually lazy leadership. You're doing Mm. a disservice to your guests. You're being lazy as a host. You need to add structure to make the connections easier. I love that. Can you give some more practical tips for somebody that maybe is overwhelmed by the idea of doing this? So here's a, here's an example. So I'm extremely extroverted. So I'm a textbook uh-huh. extrovert, but I hate planning stuff. I don't know why mm. that is. And maybe that's a belief that doesn't necessarily serve me. And I can change that from our conversation today. But mm. I always hated planning stuff. I hate planning events. I hate planning birthdays. I always want somebody else to plan it, but then I'm there. And so I've never been the planner. I've always been the attendee, and, uh, but I'll be the attendee all the time. So let's talk a little bit about the power of being the planner and hmm. like the credit that comes with that of being the person that brings other people to the room. Let's talk about the importance of that. And then some practical tips for somebody that's listening to this about why, is the, why they should do this. Like, why is this something that they should like actually pursue, especially for my introverts that are listening right now. Number one, I could probably put you on blast to just say, do it. What benefits have you? You can help me sell this then. All right. You as a podcast host. Got it. Know the benefits of being the host. When you get to add value by saying, let me bring you on my show. Let me share you to all my listeners. Let me do this. How much do your doors open for you now as a host, when you get to invite people and give them value. Yeah, a lot. And it's crazy because it's just, I have to gamify this to make, to keep me pushing because Mm -hmm. like right now, like this went from January of 2022, 
I had 2,700 downloads in a month, in the month of January for 2022. Now in January, 2023, I had 42,000 downloads and I'm going to have 50,000 downloads this month plus. And so it's just like, I have to just buy it to be like, oh, it's just numbers. I want higher numbers, higher numbers. But then I just went to an in-person mastermind event with GoBundance. And I met all the dudes, like a huge chunk of them listened to the podcast. They were coming up and they're like, like, each one of those numbers is a person. So it was just like so cool to see that. So you're spot on. The stuff that I have found is that everyone wants to be invited to a party. Okay. Similar to the idea that everybody wants to be invited on a podcast. Everyone wants to be invited to a party. And the doors open for me when I get to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I'm hosting a happy hour. I'd love to introduce you to some interesting people that I've met here in town. That is a powerful thing. And it's the top secret that you need to know that if you're listening to this wondering, how do I grow my network? If you want to meet interesting people, you have to do interesting things. One way to be interesting is to host a gathering, host a party. All it takes is a simple happy hour to bring folks together. Now, what you said was that you hate planning. You don't like planning. If it's on, you'll show up like tonight. You'll show up. You'll be there 100%, but -hmm. you don't like the planning part of it, okay? Not to sell my book, but in the book, I have some checklists. Sell the hell out of your book. I have checklists in the book. Everybody buy the book. It's a very good book. It's a very good book. Over 330 reviews on Amazon. Satisfaction guarantee for any of Brian's listeners. Bam. But the thing that you need to know is in the book, it's a step-by-step handbook. It's a guidebook. It's a workbook to walk you through the checklist. And if you can just put in 30 minutes of planning three weeks beforehand to send your invitations, collect RSVPs, everything will be handled. People will show up. You'll have amazing attendance rate. The number one fear for a new host is that nobody will show up. Show up, yeah. They're terrified of that. And so much of my book and my plan and my formula is guaranteeing getting you a good attendance for your party. Folks who read my book report more than 93% of everybody who says they'll show up actually does. And why Mm. is that? Because we use double opt-in intros. We use reminder messages. I have a secret weapon called guest bios. All of these things drive attendance. All right. So first off, everybody stop what you're doing. Go buy the book. If you haven't bought the book, go buy the book. Let's the get name of the book, w- by the way, is called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. You can find it on Amazon, on Audible. I recommend the paperback because it really will serve as like a checklist for you. Perfect. So let's give, if you could pick one of those pieces of advice about like the double opt-ins, all that stuff, that was going to be my follow-up question is when you decide we've gone over why you should host an event. Now my follow-up questions would be, who do you, for somebody that, so I have a really big network now. This is my jam is networking and that's my superpower. But some people don't have that. Some people are maybe Mm -hmm. going to a new city Some people are, maybe they're like, okay, I've got two or three close friends, but I'm starting my entrepreneurship journey and I want to attract more people. But where do I even go to find people to invite to this party before we even figure out how to use the tactics to get them in? So what's some advice you can give on that? So the first piece of advice on that, practical advice, you need five people who will say yes. Your goal is to get to five, okay? Now, for some people, they can't even get to five or they know, hey, If the goal is to have 15 or 20 attendees, I'm worried about that. My key piece of advice, get an accountability buddy, get a co-host, 
find one person where you say, hey, look, I'll do all the legwork. I'll set up the invitation, the RSVPs. But would you be willing to be my co-host and invite a couple people, bring a few folks? That will help you and will turbocharge your success with this. So if you don't know anybody, find a co-host. There's a kid who moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, knew absolutely nobody in town, only his wife and his wife's family. Didn't even have a friend on a Friday night that he could call for a beer or just to hang out. He met one person who was hosting events who had a big network. He said, can I be your co-host? Can I help with this? And that plugged him into her network, which branched him out to all these other things. So wow. if nobody do that. Now, for those who live in a town and they're still new on their journey, here's my biggest piece of advice. Your first party should be a low stakes affair. Do not reach from the top shelf. For example, if you listen to Brian's podcast, you've never talked to him before, you want to connect with him, maybe don't invite him to your first party. Here's why. Your first party is for you to practice, to learn how to throw a well-run event. Mm -hmm. Now, again, it's not about the drinks or the decorations. It's about you as a facilitator. So just like Brian's gotten better as an interview, running a lot of interviews, you will become a better host. In your first party, you might be a little nervous. I want you to be nervous in front of your close friends and your neighbors, not in front of people that you want to impress. For your first party, it's a low stakes affair, super simple. You're inviting your friends, your neighbors, your old work colleagues, maybe some people you went to college with. If you play sports, you can invite them. Later, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, that's when you'll use this party for networking. Because a month later, you'll host another little happy hour and you'll reach out to other business owners. Hey, I love your coffee shop. I'd love to invite you. I get together a group of friends and entrepreneurs here in town. May I send you the info? Note the words that I use there. May I send you the info? Not, do you want to come? May I send you the info? That's an easy yes. Do you want to come? Oh, that's a commitment, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of little scripts. I write out the exact scripts that you should use when you invite people. They're all listed inside the book. So you can steal them and use them yourself. Sweet. And yeah, I can give the perspective from somebody that's on the receiving end because I don't know you. This is our first time meeting right now. Ironically, on the day that we're going to have the party, which is like I said, I was like, okay, cool. It's meant to be. But for me, I say no to a lot, like a bunch. But and here's the kicker, like anybody worth their salt, like if they really have it figured out, they're going to say no to most things. Because if you yeah. say yes to everything, you're not going to be successful. So the key is for me, I was like, not only did this guy like write the book on the parties, but like you also posted a picture of like your last event. Right. And you're like, we did this before. We've done this before. This is my jam. This is my entire thing. Like I host really interesting events with interesting people. And so, whereas I might say I get invited to like happy hours, get invited to calls, get invited, I always say no. But I'm like, dude, this probably be some interesting people over here. Like, yeah. you want to go where interesting people want to be where interesting people are. And I love the the comment that you made before, where it's do interesting things, and then I would add a caveat to that: do interesting things and document them. Ooh, That's important yes. because yes, a lot right. of people, right. a lot of people are super super cool in private. And they don't talk about anything. So it's like they could be the coolest guy or girl in the in, ever, but nobody's going to know that because you don't talk about it because they've got like this fear of judgment, fear. Of maybe they're like, oh, I don't want to come across as like cocky or anything. Mm -hmm. But like 
I would say just share your freaking journey, share your passions with everyone, and you will be a freaking magnet for people to come in. A freaking magnet. How do you suggest that somebody starts documenting? What would your advice be? So there's two different, there's two different areas that you can come from when it comes to like brand, right? That's just a personal branding conversation, like an online digital brand. You can be the grizzled veteran or the enthusiastic beginner, right? And sometimes you can have a mixture of the two. So I like, so I have a mixture of the two to where I can be the grizzled veteran because I can say, Hey guys, you are listening to me and you are working in your corporate job and you have this dream of traveling around the world. I did that. Like I left my corporate job and I traveled full time for seven months. I lived in Europe for three months. I lived in Brazil for a couple of months. I went to Singapore in January. Like I've been all over and like I did it. So it's like, I can say, I can walk you step by step through how to do it because I did it. But then also I can be an enthusiastic beginner and say, Hey, I don't know everything, but like I'm learning. And so now that's me and my process of building the mastermind and the back end business of my community to a million dollars AR this year, where I'm like, I haven't done that before. So now I can be like, Hey, I'm learning. Like I just learned how to hire a team member. I just learned how to do click funnels. Like I learned how to do all this stuff and you just share it. And so I found that as I grew this podcast from like zero to this, and now it's just exponentially growing, it's just Mm. sharing your journey and just being like, Mm. I don't have it all figured out, but here's what I'm doing. So to punctuate everything that I just said, build in public and be intentional, just be intentional about doing cool things. Like, Mm. I think that's important because some people are just like, nah, I'm just going to just go to Costco on Friday and drink my wine and just watch Netflix. But that, is that going to move the needle? Like, seriously, (laughs) I don't know. What do you think? That's a great point. That is the difference from being a content consumer to a content creator. And you said something there that was the build in public. Mm -hmm. It's very popular and trendy now. Mm -hmm. And there's an audience. If you're going to build in public, you'll connect. There's that phrase that we are the sum of the five people we hang out the most with. Mm -hmm. And you will find your tribe when you start to share in public. I like this. Yeah. And the kicker is why do most people not do that? Because they have this fear of, oh, I'm going to look stupid or people are going to judge me or people are going to make fun of me. And maybe in the beginning they did, but I never to my face. So it's like, I never like nobody ever messaged me and said, your podcast is stupid. Your business (laughs) is stupid. This is all stupid. Like nobody said that to me. Maybe they were talking about it like in in a lunchroom somewhere. No right. way, no way. Right. No way. But there's it's way less like, haters out there than people think. Yeah, but the reality that I got is especially now that I'm building the business that I'm building, people are like, and I talk about it even with a lot of the people, they all listen to this. Like the people that are in my community. And I'm like, hey guys, like this is what we're doing. And then this is how we pivot and grow. And yes. everyone's super invested because they're like, oh my God, this is beneficial for me because I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm building. Hmm. I don't know. I think, and another thing that you're talking about that I really resonate with is it's just as we get older. So you just turned 40, correct? Yes. 41. Yep. 41. Okay. So you got shit ton of energy at 41 and you don't look 41 either. So that's good job, buddy. (laughs) Thank you. But it's just (laughs) like you're 41 and you're still actively doing this stuff. Whereas the norm is to be like, as soon as you start growing into your 30s, I'm 28. As soon as you start getting into your 30s, people are like, oh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to go stay in on the weekends. And the only friends dudes have, especially dudes, 
is like maybe your wife, or your girlfriend, her girlfriend's boyfriend or her girlfriend's husband. Maybe that's the only people that you're really meeting or hanging out with. And then you're not doing much. And that just is the status quo. So how can we convince people to avoid that? And to just like really go out and just try to grasp life. What do You've you been in a lot of mastermind groups and you have one yourself. Mm -hmm. I think you could speak to the benefits of joining a group like that and the power that it has to raise your standards or I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Can you speak about that a little bit? It raises like your frequency because it's just you, you to what to next point to be around interesting people doing high level stuff. You either need to be an interesting person doing high level stuff or you need to pay. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of it. if you aren't like interesting or high level, you have to find a way to pay either in monetarily or in time or a massive value to his point. Like if you've got like a local Austin meetup where they've got like really high power entrepreneurs and you're not there yet. Maybe you email that co-host, maybe you email that host and you say, Hey, like I'm not really at the level yet, but I would love to help you as like admin running this event. You don't really need me for my network, but like, I'm sure you hate sending out all these emails yes. and capturing all the information. If you approach yes. it from that, I bet you, you get in the door. So that's how I've viewed it kind of going about it like that, but you need to provide some, some type of value until you become the person. And then as soon as you become the person, then that's where you start getting the invites 24 seven. And then that's when you need to build your no muscle, ironically, because <laughs> then you just go to everything and don't it's get anything. true. Yeah. It's so different piece of advice that for people brand new, they need to say yes to, yes everything. to everything. Yeah. For and then people you that slowly... are established, you need to learn how to say no. It's funny and it's a big shift and it's hard to do. Exactly. So Nick, where can people find you? Where can they find the book? And where can they find out more information about these events that you throw? So one plug I want to give, and I hope I can add these to the show notes. You can yes. use my formula to host a happy hour, a networking event, a housewarming party. Are you thinking, oh, I need an excuse, host a housewarming party. You can even use this for something like a baby shower or a clothes swap. This is an operating system for gatherings. So you become known as someone who hosts good events. Okay, that can be your thing. People are craving live connection. And I found that all that it takes is a simple two-hour cocktail party. The name of my book is The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on my website, which is www.nickgraynews.com. I'll include links in the show notes. But the big thing, if you're listening to Brian's podcast, you're someone who wants more in life. And I want to challenge you. You can meet cool people. All you have to do is cool things. And one way to do something cool is to host a gathering, host a meetup. I've hosted hundreds of parties myself, and my goal now is to get 500 people to host a party. We didn't talk about this, and I don't want to dwell on it, but there is a loneliness epidemic happening in America. We, As we get older, many people peak in college, and that's when they make all their friends. As they get older, they just lose and lose friends. This is a way that you can help your friends make new friends and really make everything better. So I hope you'll take me up on my challenge to host a party. Send me an email if you do, because I want to hear from you. Heck yeah. 
Reach out to us. Go to nickgraynews.com to see everything and shoot us a message and let us know what party you guys are going to throw. And I believe I may actually issue this as a challenge to the Action Academy community as well. So you guys stay tuned. Dude, dude, let's Let's do it. Oh my gosh. This will be so fun because I'd love to personally help and coach them. No charge as a favor to you. I think this would be really cool, Brian. Let's talk tonight. All right. Done. Done and done. Guys, it's coming in. This has been Nick Gray and Brian with the Action Academy Podcast signing off. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.